open up to Matthew chapter 5. Starting in verse 3, Matthew 5, verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Let's pray. Father, we, uh, we come to you um, again this weekend just asking for your blessing. We pray that you would bless us with the presence of your spirit. We pray that you would be with uh, Brother Titus. Uh, pray that you would bless him to recall the things that he studied. We pray that you would um, give him the, the freedom to be able to preach your word without any... Um, any hindrances, any reserves, we pray that you would bless us, uh, Lord, to receive your word and to receive it gladly. Uh, where there's comfort to be had, I pray that we would have it. Where there's conviction to be had, I pray that we would embrace it. Where there's encouragement and all the other ways that you use your word, I pray that you would bless your word to have free course without any hindrances in our hearts this morning. We pray that you would do this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. So we've spent the last three messages going over what it is to be a dedicated church, what it means to be a steadfast church. But what I want you to understand is this is not an academic thing to be a dedicated church. We can all study what it means to be devoted to doctrine, to prayer, to fellowship, and the breaking of the bread, but if we're not participating in it and being active in it, it's just become head knowledge. Because brothers and sisters, if it is an academic exercise for you, then when trials and tribulations come, you will fall away. You will not remain strong and you will turn your backs towards God Almighty. But if you live as a devoted church, if you live truly devoted to the truth, truly devoted to one another and fellowshipping with God together, truly devoted in honoring the Lord's Supper, and truly devoted to being a prayerful people and a prayerful church, then I promise you that God will hold you strong through the midst of much trial and tribulation. So we've been studying this New Testament church. It was new. They were called the way. They were learning the apostles' doctrines. They had followed their Savior. They had watched Him die. They had watched Him be risen from the dead and minister again. And then 3,000 were converted in one day. And then daily, as the Lord saw fit, He added people to the church. 
And they became bold. And as we said yesterday, they turned the world upside down. And there was much anger over them turning the world upside down. Remember when I said that they went to worship in the temple daily. And on one side of the temple, you have those who crucified Christ and still wished him dead. And on the other side, you have thousands of people rejoicing in a risen savior. There is confrontation. There is conflict. And the people that worship the risen savior had no power, had no political position, had no influence. They were hated and they were despised. Now, the priests of the temple, the scribes and the Pharisees had much power. They were not there in name only. They ruled and they ruled with an iron fist. And we will see now that this church is going to be faced with seeing what this dedication to the gospel will mean in their lives. What being dedicated to fellowshipping with one another would mean in their actual lives. What being dedicated to the Lord's Supper and to prayer would mean because now it's not academic for them. Now they're having to put it into action. So please turn to Acts chapter 7. We're going to read verses 59 through 8, verse 4. Acts chapter 7, verse 59, verses 8 through 4. And we are titled today, The Church That Is Dedicated in Persecution. And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. And Saul was consenting unto his death. And at that time, there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house and hailing men and women, committing them to prison. Therefore, they were scattered abroad, went everywhere preaching the word. What we see here is the great dispersion of the faithful because of persecution. And it began with the stoning of Stephen. Now, Stephen did not say anything heretical. He simply told them the history of their people. He told them the history of what they had been through and that their Savior had come. And for that, he was stoned to death. That is a brutal death to be beaten with rocks. It hurts. I was out bouldering with my boys a couple of weeks ago and a rock came down on my head and busted it wide open. And it was one rock. And man, did it hurt. We tried to hide it from my wife, but we were not successful in doing that. But Stephen was stoned with rock after rock after rock, stone after stone. They beat his brains out. It's a brutal death by men that absolutely despised his message. And Saul consented to this. Saul is a knowledgeable Pharisee who sat at the feet of Gamaliel. He knew the law and he was consenting unto this death and he wreaked havoc. That doesn't mean he pestered the people. That doesn't mean he just mocked the people. He wreaked havoc upon their lives. People were imprisoned. People were beaten. People lost their jobs, their home. 
He was determined to snuff out 3,000 something people's joy. And if it meant killing all of them, he was more than happy to do that. But what we see this church do is they don't scatter and run away. Now, let me be very clear. When persecution comes your way, try to find a way out of it if you can. Paul himself would be rescued away from persecution, would escape from persecution when he could. But there are times when you must also stand. But this church scattered. But what is important is you have 3,000 something people and they didn't scatter in 3,000 separate directions and hide in homes by themselves. They scattered together. But church, what is so important is that they did not scatter and hide. Verse 4 says, they were scattered abroad and went everywhere preaching the word. They were so dedicated to the truth being preached that even in the face of death and seeing one of their beloved stoned to death, they went to the next town to begin preaching again. They were so devoted to fellowshipping with one another that in Saul's persecution, churches were formed. That that one spark set ablaze the world for the glory of God. That through the persecution, his church would grow. That through the trials, their strength would grow stronger. That through the trials, their fellowship would grow closer. And that through the trials, they would pray harder. The persecution was hard for them. It was not easy, but they preached. But the persecution did not stop there. And I'm going to read through just this whole list of verses. So don't write them down. I will be more than happy to email you this message if you want it. So don't write these down. I want you to listen. In Acts chapter 4 and Acts chapter 5, Peter and John were both arrested by the Sadducees. They were questioned by the Sanhedrin and then they were whipped. Acts chapter 6 through 8, Stephen is arrested by the people the elders and the scribes, and he's questioned before the Sanhedrin. He is stoned to death, sparking a severe persecution against the church in Jerusalem. Chapters 8 and 9, you see Saul imprisoning many Christians and persecuting them, hunting them down, taking them from their homes and putting them in prison. But then something happens to Saul on his way. A great and mighty, powerful light shines forth and knocks this man off of his horse and it blinds him completely. And he rises and he says, Lord, what would thou hast me to do? And when Paul has his eyes opened, a man is sent to him and he says, Paul must know what great things he must suffer for my sake. And Paul willingly goes forth to suffer for the sake of Christ. Chapters 9, 20, 23, you see, Several plots of the Jews to kill Paul. In chapter 12, King Herod executes James and he imprisons Peter. But remember that Peter is delivered through a prayer meeting of the saints. Chapter 13, Paul and Barnabas are driven out of Antioch and Poseida. Chapter 14, the Jews and Gentiles attempt to stone Paul and Barnabas. Chapter 14, the Jews stone Paul nearly to death. They thought they had done to him what he had consented unto Stephen. But Paul rose up and he preached the next day in the next town. Chapter 16, Paul and Silas are flogged, whipped, and imprisoned 
by the Gentiles in Philippi. Chapter 17, Paul and others are chased out of successive towns by the Jews over and over. You may say, yes, this is the apostle we see being persecuted. The church, it was also the people because in chapter 17, a man named Jason's whole house was pulled out and imprisoned for, quote, turning the world upside down by protecting Paul's escape. Chapter 18, Paul is made to appear before the Roman proconsul who dismisses his case as an internal dispute. Chapter 19, worshipers of Artemis in Ephesus riot against Paul and his companions. And then through the rest of the chapter of Acts, you see Paul in his final journey to Rome. He's taken by Jews in Jerusalem to be killed, but he's rescued by the Roman soldiers who imprison him. He testifies before the Sanhedrin. He testifies before Felix at Caesarea before using his status as a Roman citizen to have his case heard by the Roman emperor in which he is taken to Rome and a church is started in the house of the Roman emperor himself. This Roman emperor is Nero and there is a church in his house. Now the only apostle's death the Bible records is James. King Herod had James put to death with a sword, which means he cut his head off with a sword. The circumstances and the deaths of the other apostles are related to us through church tradition and church history. So do not put too much weight on any of the other accounts. Um, but most commonly accepted church traditions, I want to go through a few of those. Peter was said to have been crucified upside down in Rome because he said he was not worthy to be crucified in the same manner as his Lord. Matthew was killed with a sword in Ethiopia. James, the brother of Jesus, though not an apostle, he was the leader of the church in Jerusalem, was beaten and then thrown from the southeast pinnacle of the temple over a hundred feet because he refused to deny his faith in Christ. Bartholomew, also known as Nathaniel, was a missionary to Asia. He witnessed in uh, in present-day Turkey and he was martyred for his preaching. Andrew was said to have been crucified on an X-shaped cross in Greece. His followers reported that when he was led towards the cross, he saluted it with these words, I have long desired and expected this happy hour. The cross has been consecrated by the body of Christ hanging upon it. Thomas was killed with a spear in India. Matthias, the apostle chosen to replace the traitor Judas, was stoned and then beheaded. Then Paul was tortured and beheaded by the emperor Nero in Rome in A.D. 67. The Apostle John faced martyrdom. He was boiled in a vat of oil, yet God kept him alive. He was then sent to the Isle of Patmos, a prison island where he wrote his prophetic book of revelations. He is believed to be the only apostle to die a peaceful death as an old man. The traditions regarding the other ones are not as well historically recorded, so we're not going to go through those, but... What I want the point of that to be is it's not important how these apostles died. What is important is the fact that they were willing to die for their faith. We sang that song, Faith of Our Fathers. And one line caught me particular today. Faith of our fathers. That their children would be blessed to die such a death. I've got a lot of kids Am I praying that they can be so faithful that they will be faithful even in death? As a parent, I want to say, guys, just run. But I want them to be faithful 
even in the face of death. But the persecution did not stop there. There were the early church martyrs. I'm going to give a few examples, but if you want to read a sobering, somewhat gruesome, but very serious book, get Fox's Book of Martyrs and read it. Under the Emperor Nero in 67, Paul, Peter, Erastus, Aristarchus, Trophimus were killed. Under Domitian in the year 81, Simeon, the Bishop of Jerusalem, was crucified and the Apostle John was boiled. Under Trajan in 108, Ignatius was killed by lions. And under Marcus Aurelius Antonius in 162, the persecution got even worse. There was a bishop in Smyrna. His name was Polycarp. He was carried before the proconsul and condemned and taken to be burnt in the marketplace. And the proconsul then urged him and saying, Swear, and I will release thee, just reproach Christ. Polycarp's answer was, Eighty and six years have I served him, and he never once wronged me. How then shall I blaspheme my king who hath saved me? And at the stake, he was only tied, and at that time they would tie them to the stake and then nail them to it so that the ropes burnt, they would not run away. And he convinced them, there's no need for nails, for I will stand here and burn. And it continued on by Severius in 182 and every century since. And then there's the middle-aged martyrs of the Reformation. Around the year 1147, an entire group of people called the Wadensians in France were persecuted by Pope Alexander III and were massacred. In 1414, a man named John Huss was encouraged and inflamed by Wycliffe. He refused to preach anything but Christ as Lord and he was burned. And as he was burned, he sung a hymn so loud and cheerful that he was heard through the cracklings of the fire. The Roman church was so enraged at this that they dug up Wycliffe's bones and burned them and ground them to powder. In 1473, Thomas Granner was accused of professing the doctrines of Wycliffe for which he was condemned as, quote, an obstinate heretic. On the morning of his execution, I love this, he said, I'd like to eat a meal. He sat down and ate. And after he was done, he said, I eat now a very good meal, for I have a strange conflict to engage before I go to supper with my Lord. And he was taken and he was burned. John Clark and James Coburn were both killed for speaking against transubstantiation. William Tyndall was strangled and burned for translating the Bible to the common tongue of man so that you and I today could read God's words. And as he was being burned, he cried out, Lord, open the eyes of the King of England. In 1546, Peter Chapeau was killed for selling Bibles in the French language just so the people could read the word of God. In 1572, there was another massacre of the Huguenots. In 1688, a man named John Bunyan died who had been in prison for most of his life simply for preaching without a license. And in that prison cell, he wrote Pilgrim's Progress. But then it continued on. In 1944, a man named Richard Wormbrand of Romania, they came under the Russian communism control and atheism was declared as the official state religion. Richard Wormbrand spent 14 years being tortured in prison. All his torture was brutal. If you have never heard his story, 
watch the movie Tortured for Christ or read the book. But I encourage you to read it because America, it is coming. He had his feet beaten on the bottom of his feet with rods on a daily basis to the point that they were so swollen he never could walk right again. He was beaten every day if he prayed. So at the end of getting beaten every day, he would go to his jail cell and he would kneel before his jail cell and he would yet again pray. One time he was being beaten and another pastor was being beaten with him and they would not deny Christ. So that other pastor's son was brought in before him, his teenage son, and they said, we will kill your son if you will not denounce Christ. And that teenage boy looked at his father and he said, Father, hold true to the words of Christ. And they beat his brains out in front of his father. Richard Wormbron knelt before his cell and his jailer opened the door and he said, why? Why do you continue to pray to a God to save you from being beaten when you know you're going to be beaten? And he looked at him and he said, I'm not praying to be saved from beating. I'm praying for you. He was eventually released from prison. In 1945, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he was a vocal opponent of the Nazi regime. He started an illegal seminary, which was shut down in 1937. He was arrested and imprisoned in 1943. And he was executed in 1945, just days before the war ended. Because he wrote that a Christian must live in the world by God's grace and not by world's ideologies. 1956, a man named Ed McMulley, Roger Yoderin, Pete Fleming, and Nate Saint went to Ecuador with a man named Jim Elliott and they were all killed. And it has continued ever since. Brothers and sisters, we are comfortable in America. But today, Christians are being killed. Today, Christians are being persecuted. We are worshiping freely. We drove here, dressed up in our suits, parked openly in this parking lot with clear windows, worshiping our Lord freely. There are people who would give their life for this freedom. And they are daily. There are people meeting in secret churches knowing that just for having a Bible, they will die. And yet they are willing, like Wycliffe of old, to take this word and read it until their death. How often do we leave it dusty upon our shelves? How often do we say, I just don't have time today, even for a three-versed psalm? People are dying to read this word, and yet in America, we sit comfortable. I probably have 20 Bibles on my bookshelf in my church office. I probably have 20 more at home. How often do I read those Bibles? Parents. Are you encouraging your children to read? Is it something that is made a priority in your home before the day's events, before the cartoons are watched, before the school starts, before the play happens? Is the word a priority in your home? Adults, is it a priority in your own life? Those of you that are old and retired. Saints of Israel. You are not too old to read the scripture daily because you are just as tempted as the young to fall away in the midst of persecution. Philippians chapter one, verses twenty nine through thirty. As I was studying for this message, I tell you, I got depressed. 
That's some dark things to read when you start reading through all the death and the persecution. And then I think about my family and how will I stand? What would I do with my children? Where's the encouragement in knowing that the persecution is going to come? Where's the encouragement knowing that I may die for Christ? Yes, I know I should be willing, but how am I to be encouraged? Philippians chapter 1, verse 29 through 30 gives you much joy in this. Because it is granted both to believe and to suffer for his sake. For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake having the same conflict which you saw in me and now here is in me. Granted or given to favorably show graciousness or benevolence. Let me read that again. So it has been granted to you on the behalf. It has been benevolently given to you on the behalf of Christ to suffer for him. We love to talk about the gift of salvation the gift of grace because it brings us much joy, because it brings us much hope. For brothers and sisters, the persecution is also a gift of God that He has graciously given you to suffer for Him. When we look at suffering as the love of God for you, I tell you, you can endure. And when you have learned to be a dedicated church and a dedicated people, you will find joy even in suffering. Just as Paul and Silas suffered in the prison, what was their response? To sing praises and encourage the prisoners around them. And they counted it joy. The apostles Peter and John, when they were first beaten in the synagogue and told you cannot preach again, and they walked out and counted it joy that they were able to suffer for the sake of Jesus Christ. And we get embarrassed when we're mocked for speaking of Christ in school. We get embarrassed or ashamed to pray at a restaurant because someone may look at us in a mocking manner. I tell you, it is a joy and a privilege to suffer for him. Suffer is a strong word. It means literally to be afflicted with much pain. Now, the church at Philippi, who he's writing this to, saw firsthand the way that Paul and Silas suffered in their city. Can you imagine the jailer reading this letter where he says, Jailer, for to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ not only to believe, but also to suffer for him. This is the jailer who cleaned the wounds of Paul and Silas. They were bleeding when they were in prison. They beat them and put them in prison in stocks and left them. But when that earthquake happened and that jailer came trembling, what must I do to be saved? And he believed in Christ and he cleansed their wounds. And now he is hearing the Apostle Paul tell him, you also must suffer much conflict as I have suffered, jailer. And he saw this firsthand. All believers are appointed by God to pay a price for their faith. Suffering for God is Inevitable if you are a true Christian. Now, it does not mean that we will all suffer the same. There will be extreme suffering. Some will suffer less. I pray that you do not have to suffer hard. 
I pray that you do not get persecuted as they are in China right now. I pray that we can openly worship God in our churches. I pray that when I am gone, my children and my grandchildren are still able to worship God in freedom. But you are not guaranteed it because America, you are not spiritual Israel. The church of Christ is spiritual Israel. America is not the blessed nation that God will always protect. America can fall and they're on a fast decline. But God will protect his church throughout the world. He is not protecting the church of America. He is protecting the church of God throughout the world, his universal church. And I tell you, it may come to us to where our churches are burned. It may come to us where our preachers are in prison just for simply preaching the apostles' doctrine. We are not far from it. Pastors have been arrested in Canada, peaceful Canada, for simply having church services. It can come. This is not a political sermon. Elections matter. Voting matters. That's why we are to pray for those in a position of power. I do not like the Speaker of the House, but am I praying for her? Is she too far gone for God's reach? I say no, Nancy Pelosi can be reached by the arm of Jesus Christ. They all can. Are you praying as a church for our nation's leaders that they would repent and turn us back to God, that our nation would once again be a good nation? That we would be a godly nation because we are not a godly nation. We are a nation full of selfish, sinful individuals. And yet we sit comfortably in our churches. Are you praying, as I said the other day, are you praying for your fellow believers who are right now suffering persecution? Are you praying for them? It is a gift to suffer. Have you paid a price? Have you with your own family? Some of your friends? Have you paid a price at work? I tell you, that's not far away either. I have a cousin who's a a pastor. He works at uh, a very, very large company like I do. And he has craftily missed every meeting at his company where they are being told that they're going to be required to affirm people's chosen pronouns. And he is able to have very skillfully not attended one of those meetings yet. I've had a transvestite employee that I have had to work with, that I've had to be very cautious around. But I tell you what I did with that employee. I spoke the gospel to them. Because he came to me figuring that since I was a preacher, he would be persecuted. But I happened to have a big picture on the back of my desk with my huge family on it. And he kept eyeballing it. And I keep a Bible on the back of my desk. And he kept looking at it. And I stopped the conversation. I said, I see that you keep looking at that Bible and that big family. And you're afraid that I, as a Christian, am going to treat you differently. He said, yes. I said, well, I'll tell you that I know something about persecution at work, too. I'm treated differently because I am a Christian. I'm treated differently because I do have a large family. And I'm looked at and laughed upon by many people. I said, now I do not approve, nor can I ever condone your life. But I will treat you with respect and I will treat you with love because I care for you as a soul. Someone who has been made in the image of God. 
How often do we scorn those who live that lifestyle that it's too dirty for me to reach to? I won't talk to the transvestite. I won't talk to the homosexual. They're too dirty for me to reach. Brothers and sisters, that was you before Christ Almighty grabbed a hold of you. You were the adulterer. You were the drunkard. You were the homosexual. You were the thief. You were the liar. That is you before He grabs hold of you. So we cannot shy away from witnessing to those who are made in His image. Because I tell you, they are out there and they need the truth preached to them. But preaching that truth may bring you much tribulation and suffering. Brother Lewis read to us this morning the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5, verses 3 through 12. We're not going to read through all of those again, but there is a crowning Beatitude here. And it's the crowning Beatitude of suffering. I want you to notice that there are eight Beatitudes and seven of them take one verse each. But that last beatitude of suffering takes three verses. Because I tell you that living as the first seven will bring you the eighth. If you live, if you live poor in spirit, you will face persecution. If you mourn, you will face persecution. If you are meek, you will be persecuted. If you hunger and thirst for righteousness, you will be reviled. If you are merciful, you will be scorned. If you are pure in heart, you will suffer persecution. If you are a peacemaker, you will face persecution. If you live the first seven Beatitudes truthfully, then do not worry about trying to find persecution because it will find you. You do not have to go out and seek suffering. If you live a dedicated life, if you are a devoted church, if you are dedicated to the apostles' doctrine, if you are dedicated to fellowshipping with one another, this odd group of people with nothing alike that comes together and looks weird to the community, if you live dedicated to honoring the Lord's Supper, the bread and wine, whom people mock that we worship a dead Savior, if you are dedicated to being a praying church, then persecution will find you. We are not immune from persecution. The world has always hated evil. Matthew chapter 10 says that we are sheep in the midst of wolves. In verse 22, it says you are hated all. Not because of you, but because of the name of Jesus Christ. As we become more like Christ, we are being conformed to His image. Romans 8.29 tells us. And as you are conformed to His image, you will stand out as a light or a glare to the world. You will be a glare in someone's eyes or you will be the light that they needed to shine in their path. John chapter 15 verses 18 through 20. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of this world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Now we are in this world, but we are not of this world. Remember the word, the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. 
if they persecuted me, they will also also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. Brothers and sisters, it's not about you. It's about Jesus Christ. It's about devotion to His doctrine. It's about devotion of us fellowshipping together to worship God together. It's about the devotion to worshiping the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And it's about our devotion to praying to God Almighty. The world does not hate you. They hate Jesus Christ in you. Because you are not of this world. There is something different about you. It is that light shining forth. That city on a hill that cannot be hid. The world hates to see that city. So I say, do not take a bushel or a basket and put it over your candle, but let it shine forth. Have you ever been in a dark cave or on one of those cavern tours and they turn off all of the lights? It is so dark that you literally don't even think you can hear. And then you look over and that one little kid that had the the glow-in-the-dark dinosaur shirt on. And you see that darkness cannot exist in the presence of even the smallest light. Brothers and sisters, it takes just a flicker of a flame to disperse the darkness of the world. We are not always going to be a big bonfire. We're not always going to be set ablaze. It takes one candle to disperse darkness. Be the candle of this community. It only takes a spark. And that's what happened to this church. The spark of one man dying set ablaze the world and turned it upside down. And the church spread with power. And God added to people to the church as it was being persecuted. That is devotion and that is dedication. Who wants to join a group of people who are being hunted down and imprisoned? Someone who loves God and loves the truth and is determined that no matter the consequence, I will worship my Lord. Let that be Ripley Church. Let that be you at work. Let that be you in your home. Let that be you in your school. Let that be you to this world and wherever you may go. Be that candle to disperse darkness. But know that that light is hated and people will seek to snuff you out because light exposes them to their sin. The world hates you because He chose you out of them because you are not of them. That word does not mean they don't like you a little bit less. They're not that fond of you. The word literally translates to detest. They detest you. They despise Jesus Christ and all who would call upon His name. They look on you with great hate and scorn. It is not a small dislike. It is a deep and dark hatred for the things of Christ. Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 through 16, Beloved, 
Do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing has happened. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when His glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you for the Spirit of glory and God rests upon you. And on their part, He is blasphemed, but on your part, He is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or as a busybody in other people's matters. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glory God in this matter. He's saying, don't be surprised at the furnace of affliction. We get surprised that people hate us or mock us. He's saying, why do you think that's strange? It is not strange. It is to be expected. Brothers and sisters, you should expect to be hated. You should expect to be reviled. You should expect to be mocked by a world who hates Jesus Christ if you are dedicated and devoted to Jesus Christ. It's not a strange thing, but His words rejoice even more because in your trials, He is with you. God rests upon you. I said this at Camp Moriah. The Apostle Paul said the same thing. That word rest means to tabernacle over. God has placed His presence upon you in your suffering. When you are facing tribulation because of Him, it is a joy because He is ever more present with you. He is never more closer to you than in your suffering because in your suffering for His sake, He will rest upon you with His glory. The glory that was in the tabernacle of the Holy of Holies, the Shekinah glory of God rests upon you in your suffering and in your trials and in your persecution because you are suffering for His sake and for His name. Acts chapter 1 verse 8 says, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Now that sounds nice to go be a witness, doesn't it? The word literally translates to martus, which means martyr. Now let's read that again. You shall receive power of the Holy Spirit when it has come upon you and you shall be a martyr to me in Jerusalem. A witness and a martyr are synonymous. If you are witnessing, expect to be a martyr. If you don't want to be a martyr, then don't go about witnessing. But if you are devoted church, devoted to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, if you are devoted to the fellowshipping of one another to worship Him, if you are devoted to the communion supper and you are devoted to prayer, then you should be devoted to being a martyr for Jesus Christ. Back to Philippians 1.30 when he says a conflict. You should expect this same conflict upon you that I am in. That word translates to agon or agony. They saw it in Acts 16 and He's now saying it to them. 
you should experience agony for me. If you are following Jesus Christ, expect agony. Because I tell you, the road is hard. This is not an easy road to walk if you are going to be a devoted church. That is why your fellowship is so important. Because brothers and sisters, those trials will come. And if you are not dependent upon one another, you will begin to fall away one by one by one. You need this church. Because when the persecution comes, you must band together. You must circle the wagons and you must be a body fitly joined together for the sake of the gospel. What Paul is telling them, he's saying, church, you're doing something right because you're being persecuted. You're suffering for me because you're doing something right by following me. So if you're being persecuted, then keep on. You're doing it right. If you're suffering for me, keep on suffering. Because you're doing something right. Because you're standing out in a world of sin. If you're living as Jesus says in the Beatitudes, then you won't have to go looking for it. It will find you. Because Satan has been out to destroy He has been out to destroy Jesus Christ from the very beginning, from when he was thrown out of heaven. And then he tempted in Eden. And Adam and Eve sinned and all mankind fell. And then mankind became evil because Satan was amongst them, twisting them and getting them dark. And God floods the earth and saves only eight people because the world was so wicked. But Satan was still there. Satan chased Moses and the people of Israel to the Red Sea. Yet God saved them by the opening of the waters. Satan twisted Israel with endless war after war after war until Israel and Judea were two separate nations. Satan was at work in Haman, but God protected through Esther and Mordecai. Satan was at work through Herod and killing of all the babies, but God was at work through the angels warning Jesus, warning Joseph and Mary to take the baby Jesus to Egypt. Satan was at work through all of Christ's ministry. Satan even tried to tempt Christ himself. He used scripture for Christ and Christ used scripture back to him because Satan was taking the Lord's word and twisting it and the world will do that to you. There are some smart people out there that know this Bible and they will take you down to hell with them with their twisted scripture. But Jesus responded with true word, true words. And then at last, Satan thought his victory was complete. He saw Jesus Christ crucified. But Jesus didn't die. He gave up his life willingly. And he rose again willingly by his own accord. And at that moment, Satan knew that he was defeated. He knew his war was over. But brothers and sisters, he is not done with his earth. And until Satan and all of his minions and all those who have turned their back on the Lord Jesus Christ are taken and cast into a fiery pit of hell, he will take as many people with him as he can. He is not done. 
He knows this war is over, but there are many battles for you to fight as a church. And he is right now trying to destroy the church. He tried through the persecution of the Sanhedrin court, the Sadducees and the Pharisees with the apostles, and it didn't work. God's work stood true. He tried it through the persecution of the pagan Roman emperors. But God's truth stood firm. He used the twisted doctrines of a Roman church through the Reformation ages. But the word of God stood firm because there were people who were dedicated to the apostles doctrine. There were people who were dedicated to fellowship. There were people who were dedicated to the Lord's Supper. And there were people who were dedicated to prayer. And only through that will you withstand the persecution. He used the social and political mantras of a modern world of communism and Stalinism and whatever ism you want to add to it. And they're still coming out left and right. But the truth of God still stands here in Ripley today. And now he's using the twisted gospel of comfort Christianity to tear down the churches. And we see people flooding to these churches because people want to live a comfortable life. Nobody wants to be persecuted. I want to hear that I'm okay as I am. I want to live comfortably to the end. I don't want to know that persecution comes for me. Don't preach that to me, preacher. Give me words of comfort. I tell you, your comfort is that you may suffer for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in that is rejoicing. And in that is comfort. But there are men like Joel Olstein and Stephen Furtick who take the gospel and through the power of Satan, I tell you, they twist it into a wicked word and they're taking people down to their graves. Stand firm. Stand firm to the truth that you were taught. Be dedicated to the apostles doctrine because he will continue this campaign of destruction until you are called to glory and he is cast to destruction. John chapter 16, verse 32, Jesus says, indeed, the hour is coming. Yes, has now come that you will be scattered each to his own and he will leave me alone. And yet I am not alone because the Father is with me. These things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. The tribulation's coming, but Jesus is with you because he has won your victory for you. Already developing your relationship with God through being steadfast to his doctrine, by being steadfast to one another, by being steadfast to his communion mill, to being steadfast to prayer. This is how you will endure the persecution to come. That one verse of Acts 2.42 is so full of everything that you need to know as to what you as a Christian need to be about doing. Stay devoted. Be a praying people. Be a fellowshipping and a loving people. Be a believing people. And draw near in a full assurance of faith as we said in Hebrews chapter 10, 22. Draw near to God. Draw nigh unto Him because He is nigh unto you.
in the midst of the persecution we see, this dedicated body preach Christ and go forth to everywhere preaching His Word. But they remembered the words of Jesus Christ in John 14, 27 as they go out facing persecution. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give. Let not your heart be troubled. Neither let it be afraid. 1 John 4, 4, he says, You are of God, little children, and have overcome them because He who is in you is greater than He who is in the world. He is greater than all your tribulations and He is greater than all your sufferings and He is greater than all your trials. So church at Ripley, stand steadfast to Him. Let us pray. Lord, we ask that You draw us near to You. That You draw us like You drew the Israelites out of Egypt. That You lift us up like You did with Noah. That You save us from destruction as You did the people of Israel through Esther. Lord, let us see our hope and salvation in You and You alone. May our sorrow be turned to joy even in the midst of much affliction. God, help us to faithfully live out the first seven Beatitudes, even knowing that what follows in persecution is a gift of You. May we be like the faithful men and women of ancient days who stood faithful against evil emperors. May we be like the faithful men and women of old days who stood faithful against the pagan Roman church. May we be like the faithful men and women of modern days who stood faithful against the social evils of Nazism and communism and socialism who put their faith in man and society over God. May we be like the faithful men and women of ancient days who were steadfast and dedicated to the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and breaking of bread and prayers. Lord, make us faithful servants of You, knowing what joy is yet to come. Lord, we ask this through the power and blood of Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, once again, what a tremendous encouragement the Lord has brought to us through the series of messages that we've received this morning um, and this weekend. Um, I think we would all agree that uh, we've been um, exhorted, we've been encouraged, we've been convicted in some areas. And so... um, And so now the question really is, what will we do with what we've received? Uh, There there really is an immediate blessing to sitting under these kinds of messages and being able to acknowledge the Lord has been with us this weekend. But there is a gap between receiving um, information from Scripture and then the transformation that occurs in your heart. And that gap is bridged through meditation. Okay, so our job at this point is to take these messages and chew on them, and I will challenge you at least in one specific way to do that. Everyone here ought to be asking the question, what is at least one thing God wants me to change in my life as a result of the messages that He has sent me this weekend? Okay, that's a question you ought to be asking yourself. That's a question I ought to be asking myself. Now, we could probably come up with more than one, and it may be that we need to go back and, and um, use uh, sermon audio or, or the, the videos on Facebook to help us in that.
But brothers and sisters, as much of a blessing as it's been to sit under these messages, God's intention is not that we would be entertained by momentary emotional flurries. It's that we would be transformed through the power of the gospel. And so may we take the time to meditate as to what God would personally have us to change as a result of the messages that he sent us this weekend.